Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today's guest is none other than Andrea Trinchieri. Andrea and me go back to Boston times when he came to visit us during a snowstorm in March, and we spent some time together. We talked a little bit about his background today, but mostly we dove right into communication and how to handle conflict. We talked about leadership uh, within the team, how to cultivate it, uh, accountability, how to hold players accountable, and some basketball-specific uh, knowledge and uh, topics that some coaches may care about. I apologize for the audio in advance. It was not perfect sometimes, but there's still a lot of good nuggets and gems you can take away from, and I'm sure a lot of people will learn today a lot. So please subscribe to this channel if you're not subscribed yet. Comment, share with people who may benefit from this information. I think there's a lot of good knowledge in here that, that Andrea shared with us. As always, very metaphorical and informative. Uh, other sports are coming soon, so stay tuned for that, as well as some coffee episodes, which I also can't wait to publish. So thanks for being subscribed if you are one. If not, please click on this button below and on all audio platforms as well. And see you soon. Bye. All right, Andrea, we're live almost. How are you? Okay. Okay. I, you know, I just catch a terrible, terrible cold. I am sick the last two days, but you know, now in these times, nobody trusts you, and they just send me to test every day <laughs> to see if I got something more than a cold. But I was cleared, so all good. So you you it's don't very know cold in Germany, but now here in Nice is better. <laughs> you don't know if your nose is hurting from the testing or from the sickness, huh? <laughs> I don't know both, but it's it's okay. It's okay. I'm happy that I don't get infected with COVID. So let's yeah. go on. Okay, uh, let's keep rolling. Yes. Uh, I, so to go back on when we first met uh, or we spent a lot of time together was in Boston. That's where I remember the most time that we spent together. That's that's basically where we yeah. mostly yeah. started to form our relationship. What do you remember the most from that from that week? Uh, which year was it? 2018 or I don't remember clearly. I believe it was 2018. Uh, that's what I think too. Eighteen, yeah. Yes. But we, what do you remember from that week yeah. together? Because I have a clear memory of of something. <laughs> I have, uh, first of all, I have great memories. Uh, it was uh, a great experience from basketball side and from the human side because when uh, the Celtics gave me the chance to attend to. All their activities before the playoffs, I jump on the plane and I came to Boston and I had the luck that you were there at the same time. So uh, basically, you were my chaperone there. You were <laughs> opening doors <laughs> and everything. And um, from one side, I was totally immersed in NBA basketball at that time. The Celtics were rolling. <laughs> they were in a good, 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 good moment. <laughs> it's hurting a little bit now, okay, but time will come. Your time will come. And I remember that we spent 
so many times trying to find a good coffee in Boston <laughs> and trying to exchange exchange some life stuff, some basketball stuff. And basically, we try to put many things on the table and try to pick the things that were interesting for both of us. So it was great. Yeah, I think we had a lot of deep talk. Uh, besides besides the the legendary Fogo de Chao uh, lunch that we had, we also... <laughs> We we also spent a lot of time talking, having deep conversations. Uh, but I also I also remember the snowstorm where we, we drove uh, or I was driving through yes. the snow. That I so still that, have all the pictures. It was unbelievable that 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 week was unbelievable, yeah. and my my experience in Moscow helped me through that a little bit. Um, <laughs> you were trained, well trained, well trained. Yes, well trained. A lot of practice. Um, so we will talk today uh, about different. I prepared four quarters for you. Uh, and okay. like for every head coach, I prepare usually four quarters. So the first I one know. will be a little, little bit of your podcast, <laughs> a little bit of background and 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 personal uh, personal things that we can touch on. Uh, communication, which is my favorite subject, and most people know that. Um, and we talked a lot about that as well. Then we will go a little bit into, into coaching and specific situations, and then we will dive into quick hitters and philosophy. Just quick quick uh, Q&A in philosophy. But to start on your background, in the beginning, uh, you, when we were in Boston... How many time I got? <laughs> you have... Uh, I'll give you four timeouts each each quarter. Okay. So d during our time in, in Boston, you also mentioned that you have some history in Boston uh, in terms of roots. And if... Uh, Wikipedia and and uh, Google in general is correct with uh, with with the help I, I searched for. You have Croatian, Montenegro, Italian, American, and Panama, Panama roots. Explain in the in yeah. the in, in the it's, most. It, it's it's a, it's a very broad spectrum of countries. How how did that uh, come along? And I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed for that. I. I really mm, understood lifetime how this helped me to have to be at, to at least try to be open minded. And um, so, my dad that studied Harvard, so this is, and uh, was the son of the Italian consul in Boston that married a Kentucky woman. Hmm. And uh, and talking now about him, he just passed away a couple of months ago. So it's, you know, it's something that I like to remember this. You know, it's a very good way to embrace his memory. Okay. So, mm -hmm. and uh, my grandfather, so grand -grand uh, my grandfather, sorry, the father of my um, grandmother, from the Kentucky was one of the six investors in the Panama Channel. Mm -hmm. So uh, they had six American people that uh, organized and invest in building the Panama Channel at the beginning of the century. And my father uh, was there um, just for case, and he was born there 3rd March of 1931. So 
And he stayed there for the first six months. And then they were going all through the Europe and the world because usually every two years, a consul change where he works. So he was in uh, Palma de Mallorca, in Prague, in Berlin, in Edinburgh. So a lot of, a lot of places. And uh, he met my mom that has Montenegrin and uh, Croatian roots. Okay. But that time was Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. And um, he met her in London. Okay. So don't ask me why, because I ask and they never answer me why. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> why you met in London? You are Italian, half Italian, half American, and you are from Croatia. Why you met in London? No answer. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and then they moved to Italy. And I remember very well when I asked my dad, but sorry, you are half American. Mom is from Croatia. Why are you living in Italy? And that was, I believe, 96, 72, 3, something. I was five, four, five. And he answered to me, this is the best place to live. So, and uh, this is my roots. And uh, I... I'm so, so bl- I, I, I would repeat myself, I'm sorry, but I'm so blessed that I have this kind of roots. It's like a cocktail, you know, it, there is everything inside and that helped me really very much in my job. That's that's one thing I wanted to get into because this I call, I call this the spectrum of people. And I was exposed to a lot of people mm-hmm. in my lifetime as well because of I don't have as much but I have also a lot of uh, different cultures in, in, in my upbringing. I mean, I have one bloodline, but my upbringing was in a, in a wide variety of, of cultures. And with this, yes. job, with this job especially, there is also a wide spectrum of people that I, I, I met in, 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 in this job, with, whether it's coaches, sports directors, GMs, etc. And I feel it helps me to connect with people and put myself in their shoes better because... Yeah. Sometimes you feel uh, that you Definitely. you feel sometimes that the other person may not understand you if you just keep talking the way you're talking. So sometimes you adjust to that person more than they can adjust to you because you know. And this is like this. It's not a punchline. This is just um, I I know where they're coming from. You know, so they kind of understand where they're coming from with the way they were talking. So you, I, I feel like I, I have this ability to understand better what they mean. And I feel like for you in your job is especially important. And that background gives you an advantage also in terms of coaching and on the floor, talking, uh, cursing in different languages, maybe as well, but it's also a, 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 a very good, a very good connector. Don't you think? Oh, you got the point. Um, if I tell you now, Benas, that, Communication is the most important thing when you deal with human beings. In any job that you deal with the X factor that is human beings, I would tell you that right now in my job, communication is more important than X and O's. I can be the best or I can work so hard on X and O's and not being able to transfer this with poor communication, it's not working. So. Uh, it 
helps me a lot because it gives me the chance to know how people can feel. And um, I always try to say to myself, it's not important what you think of what this person thinks. It's how he perceives the situation. It's totally different. And, you know, now uh, one time was... I was able, I would say I, I was able to step in his shoes, okay? But now I believe it's more transversal, okay? You need to deal with culture, where it's coming from, education, family, expectation, job, fears. When you have in front of you a player or a coach, okay, you have his talent. You have his knowledge, but you have a person with his fears and everybody has his own fears and being open. When you go abroad, you, you studied in the States, right? Yep. So you took your bag and you travel over the ocean and you were on one side, super excited. On the other side, you were sometimes overwhelmed by what's coming next. And when a player comes to Europe, he's doing, he's doing the same thing. So he has his fears, his expectation. And just coming from different places with different routes, it helped me to understand how he can perceive his situation. And as I said to you, communication is the most important thing. I believe you agreed with me. This helps. Yes, and I'm glad I'm glad we're going there because communication to me is the the my bad communication is my biggest pet peeve, and we'll get to that because communication can be also uh, have to do with lack of openness. You know, where you're stubborn in your own ways and you're stuck in your own lack square. Of, sorry, say it again. Lack of lack lack of openness. Yes, you're, yes, you're, yes. So you're 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 stuck in your own square and. You you don't see a, w- a different way of thinking, you know. Also. So that that's when people are stuck in their own in their own in their in the same way they're 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 living their whole life and they're not able to grow from that because they're not able to receive other information. Um, so, but throughout your throughout your uh, journey, just to stick with your background for a little bit more, what do you remember from your journey as a head coach? Um, since since you became head coach from turning from assistant coach in Milano to being becoming a head coach in uh, in, in Cremona, I believe it was correct. Yes, um, uh, when I think about those days, I am I would say to myself now, wow, I was so naive, so not prepared enough, and as you say, I was not open. You know, when you jump from Basically, I left Milano because they didn't believe in me. They're just looking at me through me like I was a piece of glass, okay? So after seven years, I thought that I would deserve at least you considering me as a job, especially when they fired a coach on a plane in mid-February, okay? And when I understood that, this was the last thing on earth that will happen. I said, uh, okay, in order to do 
my job, I need to be happy. I need at least to have high motivations. And uh, for this reason, I said, okay, I quit my job. And I took six months traveling to see basketball, to think. And then I had the opportunity to go in third division in Italy as a head coach. Okay. You know, uh, Italian uh, second and third league are probably the best for quality and players leagues, second and third league in the world. Okay. Uh, the, uh, there's no the gap about the budgets from first division, or second, or third, it's not so big like in Spain, for example, okay? You have players making 10, 12K a month, okay? So I, you know, I had a chance just because uh, an owner liked me, liked the interview, okay? And he was a little bit different because in front of me, there was 10 coaches that wanted the job that had years of experience in that league in uh, with specific players and all things like this. And uh, I was the underdog, totally underdog, zero experience as a head coach, never coached that league. He, he made me some questions in the interview and maybe he had some instinct, some, and he gave me the job. But then I come in a place where all the eyes were on my back. I feel burns on my back from all the eyes on me waiting for my mistake. Mm-hmm. And what I did, something that if I do now, I say, you're so stupid. I did this. I said, okay, if I have to die, I'll die with my principles. Okay. So no, I was not open. I just said, we do the things because I said, we do the things this way. It was a way of, showing authority without having authority. Mm-hmm. But I had the luck that I had some players that bought in and I was successful. And then from that day, I understood how coaches can adjust to the situation and not fear the situation. I would never do now the same thing. I would always try to make my players, my club, do something. And what is this something we decide together? It's not me from I, with the fist, you know. We do like this because I said this is the right thing. I want players to play for me. For me, it's a extend concept. So that they do something believing in what we are doing. This doesn't mean that we are going to play without mistakes. Basketball is a game of mistakes. But at least there is some passion. And if I look now, I'm a total different person, a total different coach. I always tried as my mantra, as my most important thing for me was try to develop. I would love to say try to improve, but the development of a coach, of a player, is never linear. You make one step forward, two steps on the side, one step back, three steps forward. But that was my major goal in whole my career. But would you would you say you? yes, yes? But would you say you got lucky with okay. the players you had at the same time because they bought in? Because some 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 coaches have their principles and they want to stick with their principles, but. Maybe their principles, their principles may not fit the players they have, although they're the right ones. But they, that the, the players, 
end up not believing in the coach and then he dies? That is a good, good, good question. I like it. I have only one recipe for this. You have to show to the players that you care for them. Then they will do more for you. And caring is not a general thing. You can care for his own improvement. You can care dealing with his fears. You can care calling a play for him to activate him. You can care giving him a better defensive matchup. You can care for him when you say when you see him that he's tired that day and you say, okay, let's go go to the weight room. I need you for tomorrow. You want the player, a coach wants the player to care, care for the team, care for the result, care for the practice. The best way you can do it, you care for them. How much is intuition versus experience in those decisions that you make when you send them to the to the weight room? Uh, <clears throat> I believe that we are living a, in this moment. Basketball is the most basketball. When I say coaching, uh, the, a season is the most situational thing that I ever experienced. That means that uh, when you go on a plane, the pilot has a checklist. You know. Engine, flaps, this, that, tank, and everything. At the beginning of my career, I had a checklist. Okay. Imaginary checklist, but I had some. Now I don't have any checklist. I, I try to understand who I have in front before the player you have in front, a person. And uh, I would never send somebody out of the practice to helping if he's lazy, because I will do a bad job towards the team because I'm setting wrong culture but if somebody works hard work his ass off every day and one day he had a fight with his wife with his girl who just is a bad day at the office why i shouldn't show, show him that i care every day is different every player is different empathy empathy yes chemistry and empathy yeah so that, that's a good that's a good transition uh, to the second quarter in terms of um, communication because in like like I said it's a, it's a, it's a pet peeve of mine uh, if there's bad communication if there's th things that are unsaid uh, so in terms allow me to be direct here but in terms of of uh, addressing problems I think that you are not afraid of confrontation correct no no so never. So the confrontation factor comes into play during the game. It's one thing, okay. So there's 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 a lot of impulsive situations that you can you can have, uh, whether it's uh, in a timeout, whether it's during the game, whether it's after a defensive possession. But in terms of addressing a, a problem away from the game, whether it's in practice, after practice, having a co hard conversation, how do you prepare for a hard conversation with a player? Okay, uh, I will give you a more extent answer. Uh, one thing that I learned when I was in Partizan from my assistant coach, and it's something so simple, but it's so true, okay? So I have a, a demanding way of coaching, okay? I always come with a plan. I give individual plans. I try to have a purpose every day, and I want my players to follow, to, to buy in. 
okay? And sometimes the risk is that you look control freak, okay? How many times you heard on a basketball court, court, coach, let me play, let me play. Sometimes let me play means don't coach me, okay? I'm not the right guy, okay? And he said to me, from Monday to Saturday, coach is the God. Players should execute and do what you ask. On Sunday, there are players on the grandstand. They don't have to listen to you like they listen in practice. So they have to, you don't have to coach them with a joystick. They have to have the freedom and the instinct to play. But you build the right habits and the right culture from Monday to Friday, to Saturday. And Sunday, it's their game, and they put together on the court whatever you taught them. So confrontation should never be just for confrontation. If you have to establish your power as a coach, your authority with confrontation, you're dead. Means that you, you cannot, it's too late. So I never prepare for confrontation, but I'm always ready when a player thinks that he's above the team. So this is not tennis, it's not golf. This is a team sport. If somebody thinks that he's above the team, we have a problem. But on the same time, not every player is the same. Whoever says that every player has the same treatment and is the same as about, about uh, the role in the team is bullshit. Sorry, beep. <laughs> Sorry. It's bullshit. We cannot win games like this. You have to have hierarchy, roles. And so this is when I confront a player, okay? And I'm working because I... Sometimes I was overreacting to mistakes to the player. I'm still, this is my latest area of improvement to, I have a dream. My dream is that the player knows when he has to go on the bench. Okay. Because he knows exactly why he should go and why somebody else should come in his place. And this is when you go yet to, in order to achieve this, you need to be straight and fair. Don't lie to your players. Even if you have to say something that they dislike, they will appreciate it if you care for them. If you just, just say something to point the finger, you're dead. You're dead. The man walking. But if you care for them and when they don't deliver, you said, hey, man, you didn't do this. We need you to do this. Okay? But same time, when he does it, you said, bravo, you did the right thing. It's not only one way. So you have to praise them and you have to say when they don't do it. I think that's so it's straight and fair and honest. It speaks for not having a double standard for for each player or each each individual and still being being authentic with your principles because I keep going back to that on every every time the subject yes. comes up because players at the end they respect truth. They respect authenticity if they see that it comes from a good place and passionate place that you are in it together. It's not that they are, you are against them, that you are all working for the same goal and they feel 
the authenticity in your voice, in your emotions, and that it's, it comes from an honest place. I think that's the key. That's the key. And it happened five days ago with one of my players. I freaked out, okay? And I address the thing that I had to address. And uh, he's a sensitive player, okay? And he say, I appreciate, he said to me, I appreciate what you're doing because you're authentic. And you say to me the truth in order for me to be better. So thank you. A player, you know, in a confrontation. But you use the word that scares me a lot. Double standard. Uh, double standard has a, neg a negative impact, okay? But I don't believe you can treat everybody the same. This is not a double standard. The standard is no one is above the team, but the roles are very clear. Mm -hmm. And I always... One of well, the first thing I do every season, I ask the players, to my players, what is a role of a player in a team? Or they answer, ah, the thing I have to do, the thing I can do for the team, you know. And I said, no, the role of a player is what the team expects you to do. Because if you sign a player that comes and he wants to score 30 points and you need 20 rebounds, we have a problem. Mm -hmm. So being straight, fair, and honest means I always tell to my players before they sign what I need, how I need it, and how I'm going to play them. Then after the first three weeks of the preseason, I adjust, adapt, and reset because before you have the players in your gym, you never know. Only after a period together, you know what to do and how to do it. So let me ask you this. In those confrontations that you have uh, whenever a conflict arises, how good or how necessary do you see admitting to a mistake that you may have made in, in terms of confronting the player? And then in hindsight, you see I was wrong. I feel... To, for me, I feel like it's it's important and players respect most of the time uh, if they if they have the mental capacity that you admit to a mistake that you did. Is that something you see necessary or do you gloss over it and move on? Uh, I do it on a constant basis, but there is a but in this. I believe that I work my ass out every day. So in Italy, we say, only if you don't do nothing, you don't make mistakes. Correct. Okay? So I'm a human being. I do mistakes. And I'm never afraid to raise my hand in front of the team, in the locker room, in a film room, or on the court. The problem is that when you do too many mistakes, it cannot be a shortcut. Because sometimes, you know, you say, I... I did a mistake, you know, but you have to believe that you did a mistake and you cannot do it too often because you are paid to take right decisions. Especially making the same mistake multiple times. I think that's a no-no. That's the same for, for everybody. You can't, I mean, you can make, you can make a mistake, but you cannot be the yes. same mistake over and over again. That's for players, management, coaches, and yeah. anybody involved. Um, from the conversations you have had in the past, 
uh, from the rich experience you have had. Do you remember one particular conversation that maybe may stand out that taught you the biggest lesson that helps you uh, still today in your career that you feel like, man, I took away so much from this from this conversation that I feel like this will help me for forever. Oh, I had a couple of conversations with you. <laughs> that, uh, put put the focus on on things that I didn't think was so important. Uh, sometimes less is more. And whenever, I would say even most of the times, whenever you are able to shrink a concept, condense a concept, condense a request in something that is short and very clear and sharp, Okay, it's very important. So when we were talking about X and O's related to who you have in front, okay, it's all a matter of software, you know. You can have the best X and O's in the world, but if the player that you have in front is not ready to take this, you're wasting time. Mm -hmm. And even the things they know to do, they will not do it. Because they were, oh, I cannot do this. And you see players that are playing thinking. And you see them from the video in the gym because they are slow. Because they are hopping, thinking what they have to do. Reacting. So we have to build instinct in the player. Right instincts. Reacting. Exactly. So I believe me, when we spoke about that thing, you know, reading and reacting, it was a big thing for me. But I have, in this moment, I have millions of things. I try, yesterday I was reading something about Albert Einstein, you know, and uh, one of his quotes said that if you're not able to explain something to a six-year-old kid, you didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. If you are not ready to explain something that is clear and understandable for everybody, we're failing. Yeah, that's abs absolutely the truth. It has to be uh, simple. And there is a quote, and I wish I could I could quote it correctly uh, by by Naval. Um, the the sign of a charlatan is uh, explaining something in a complicated way and the sign of a genius is the, uh, to explain it in the most simple way possible something in that regard i'm not i'm not good with quotes something like I, yes i remember um which conversations do you leave up to the management where do you not get involved what's what's where do you draw the line for for your duties and the management duties I don't want to be involved in agents, so I don't want to talk to agents. I just, if I have to, uh, I just say how I'm going to play his, their, his client, okay, and what would be his role, okay, predicted, predicted role, because then mm -hmm. if he comes and doesn't practice or he doesn't want to do one thing, the role changes, okay, <laughs> and I don't want to deal with, uh, sorry, <laughs> 
you know, I always, you know, recruiting is something that is funny to me because when I heard, I heard some people recruiting players and say, ah, you're going to play 30 minutes. You're going to shoot the ball 25 times. But my question is, they are all lying. Because before you have the squad together, you don't know. Maybe in order to win the game, he has to make 25 screens per play instead of shooting the ball 25 times. <laughs> And this, you know, recruiting is something that always was shocking me. But, uh, um, <laughs> okay, this is... Funny stories. Yeah, you can't you can't set the player up with false false expectations because you're setting yourself up for failure, the team up for failure, and the player up for failure. So he has to know the truth, and that's the same thing. Intuitus also always said that he, he the player will always know the truth of what to expect when he comes to the team. And and then, as you say, I don't want to deal shows. with contracts. Mm -hmm. I don't want to know. I don't want to know that the numbers on the contract i just want to know how many years is the contract okay because it's different to coach a player with one year contract or three years contract mm -hmm. okay and uh, i don't deal with the political part of the club so they tell me how they want to reach their goals what they would like to see from me okay and then with my management i have exchanges of thoughts and communication on daily basis before practice during practice after practice uh, when we travel because we are a team also management coach is a team in the team but with clear responsibilities i'm responsible of what they do on the court they are responsible for many other things and i don't want i don't like when we go over each other you know so yeah they're, they're i have they're... my area of responsibility they have their own area Yeah, and the, the roles get defined, the responsibilities get defined as the season goes on, as you get to know also who you're working with and how you're working best together. Because some some players, some teams that you're coaching, they might require a little bit of both. You know, then it's it's a matter of also again yeah. communi communicating with the management about how to solve the situation because it's a it may be a different uh, different approach to it. Um, yes, another thing that I want to add is that. Um, I don't believe that for how is the schedule, for how we are working as coaches now, the coach can decide the roster. Uh, we don't have time to scout players because 90 games, 80 games per season, it's uh, really difficult. Okay. But I believe you have to say what you need as a coach. And then the management comes, we can sign this, 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 and that. You know, and then you do, you put them together because if you sign this guard, you need that three men and that four men. So you try to, to match the players. Okay. But uh, it's very rare to say, I want this player because um, it happened when I know the player or something like this. But I, I always try to start from philosophy. What is the philosophy of the team? Okay. Then how we're gonna play? What players we need in order to play that way? So, do you think uh, teams in Europe are undervaluing this part of scouting and and anticipating the next season? Totally, yes. huh? Mm -hmm. Totally. Uh, I don't know. You you can you can say it better, but uh, what is the how many money 
NBA invest in scouting and evaluating players? Uh, I mean, I, a lot. A lot. I don't believe lot. we are doing the same. A lot. So, well, I don't believe that we can match that, but the gap is too big. Yeah, relatively speaking, it has to be. It has to be a some some a, a bigger amount of what it's what it's being done now. Most yeah. of the European teams, most of Euro League Euro League teams are investing in that, but I think there's still a lot of yeah. upside left in terms of uh, having a scouting staff and having the correct um, pre yes. uh, preparation for the following season because you have to live ahead. Um, let's talk about leadership a little bit uh, because. Communicate. Can you define leadership for me? I would. Uh, I, I like to lead by example, more than words. I. I don't believe that you can do Al Pacino stuff <laughs> in any given Sunday. You know, every game. Okay. You want your team to be prepared and focused. Start from you. This is leadership. You are prepared and focused every practice. You come with a uh, practice plan. You come with the, the teams divided in threes, twos, four, five. Uh, you have their, you talk with the conditioning and strength coach about how, what is the load management for this and that player. So this is leadership. Leadership is, don't be afraid to say, I made a mistake. Okay. And leadership is don't be afraid to take decisions because if you are taking a decision, so you're taking a decision and you are afraid of the consequence, you will never take the right decision. So a coach has to take decisions who to play, why to play him, how to play him, who's the go to guy for that game. Okay. What is the best coverage against that player? You know, in the past I had, <laughs> you know, many experiences and I will never forget when I was, you know, 30 years ago, I was assistant coach and we were preparing the game and uh, we were playing five on five. They were running the plays of the opponent and they were playing pick and roll. Okay. And our veteran asked the coach, coach, what kind of defense we do on pick and roll? And the answer was, play defense okay sometimes I disagree but maybe one time you can provoke your players to find a solution but you cannot hide this is your responsibility the coach has to say how we want to do it with whom we want to do it and the players have to execute execute it so this is leadership take decision don't be afraid to take decision And when you fuck it up, you raise your hand. But you cannot fuck up every day. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so, but to get to that point, as you said, in terms of leadership, to be able to make a decision and to be able to take responsibility, I think what you said in the beginning, the foundation for that is preparation, right? You have to be prepared in yeah. practices. You have to be prepared in order to make a decision. An informed decision, you have to have all the information and put into work. Correct. I fully agree. I will add one thing that is very important that the coach has okay it's culture because this is going to help you to deal with many things 
Okay, you can, I can't see a coach having success if he's narrow-minded. Because having success is, you have to convince a group of players with their own expectation, their own goals, to have a collective goal, to put the things together and play together, giving up a little bit of their ego. And when you know the words to use, when you have culture of the life, history, uh, you can always take away the pressure of the moment with irony. Greg Popovich is a genius. Why? He doesn't talk only about basketball. If you talk only about basketball, maybe you think that you're doing a great job. But then it's only about basketball and you need to win games with men. Sometimes with, you just need to man up. You need to win to, the game. With people. You're you're working with people, so you cannot always be basketball. It has to be philosophical life I, situation. I won even titles. So I played years ago at game five, okay, to win the the title. Okay, last game of the season. So we played that team eight, nine times. So it was, they were better, but somehow we managed to tie the series. And, you know, as a coach, you want to play game five and to prepare everything. So you want to be ready to know how they're going to warm up. So, and this is over coaching guys, but, you know, you play game five, you are also hyped, you know, And the day before, I went for the in the film room for the meeting, uh, and I had this. You know, I was lucky. I had. I said, Epiphany. instead of I prepared a video, prepared a video was uh, the game plan was ready and everything, and I saw my players. You know, when you see their legs moving, you know, I see a lot of energy going in their body language, a little bit nervous okay and then i said guys get tomorrow game five tell me you want me to prepare tactically this game with all the things coming from that or you just won't go out there and kick them in their ass without too many tactical things i will just give you one thing for the defense and one thing for the offense Of course, they chose the second way, and we won by 15. I think especially in these uh, game fives or finals, final fours, in these do-or-die matches, I think the less information, the better it is. It's just like the, the players have to play at the end of the yeah, day and, and, not, and not think the game. The more they think, the more they become static, the more the games become, be, become static, slow, And then you're taken away from your own strengths. I mean, I have I have never been a head coach in that position, but from experiencing from the sideline and to see that when you see that guys are overthinking, there it gets like there's like a a a, a rock in the wheel, you know. And then you see it evolving; it's getting worse and worse and worse. So the 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 easier it is for the players because the, you have most of the time at this level. They already have the experience and the they process, especially if you play the team eight times. A lot of times at the end of the day, 
it's about the individual strengths and weaknesses of players and they they if they're they've played the team often enough to anticipate and to understand what's coming it's very true but you know how difficult is our job and sometimes a coach says if i don't do nothing maybe we are not gonna be good enough okay so I believe that the answer is always in something that is well balanced. Okay. You cannot just say, go out there and play. You give them one, two information for offense, one, two for the defense, and you convince them that they have enough to win the game because they can do it. Uh, on top of that, if if you don't prepare and if you just give it and you lose, then you look like an idiot or you risk looking like an idiot because at the end of the day, it's easy to blame you. I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to blame the coach if you don't it's, prepare. It's always, you know, the coach is there. He's in the spotlight. It's <laughs> easy to shoot at the coach. Yeah. There is always a sniper in every gym, in every arena. And <laughs> um, the... To, to, to go on top of leadership in terms of communication with players. So the captain is one of the most important pieces of the ship, I would say. How do you see the role of a captain and how do you communicate with him? In what situations do you feel necessary to, to talk to the captain in private? What do you feel is the, the role of a captain? I believe the captain is more important in national teams mm. where his role is like God, I believe, okay, almost. In the, the teams, I not always the captain is the captain. It means you have a player there many years, uh, or you have a player that just came in and has a personality. I would like to say that I talk individually with all my players every two, three days. Can be 20 seconds, can be 20 minutes. Um, there's no one way. You can talk on the court. You can talk in your office. You can talk drinking a coffee. You can talk at a restaurant. You can talk inviting people at your place. And sometimes you, you have to open towards your players. They have to see what is behind your yelling or your demanding. Mm -hmm. So I try to build the right uh, hierarchy, but I talk with everybody. And, uh, and then you have to adjust to what the player, how the player can use when you talk to him. Means use as an advantage for him and for the team. There are players that you can talk only about themselves because they are not able to process a bigger picture, including other players. And you have players that can process not one team, three teams together, because they are so experienced, they are so open and oriented to help the team. So I really go back to my thing that I said before, it's a situational way of coaching. Every player is different. Every play needs different attentions. And when you have assholes, you call them in the office. But what you can do, you know, what is the, the room for improvement when you just put somebody in the office? You have to do this, that, 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 that. 
I always want players to buy in. So maybe I have a complicated personality and he will never expect, expect for me to be invited in my place and I cook for him or his wife. Never, but I do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And then he goes home and thinking, what is he trying to do with me? <laughs> uh, I think that's an important factor that uh, a lot of people or a lot of coaches maybe may be afraid to do because they're open up too much to the player and then they're making themselves vulnerable. But I think showing vulnerability and opening up it's it's a sign of strength instead of weakness and uh, it's it's obviously you have to know how to cook first of all i when i don't uh but second of all you also have to know and have the ability to understand the player and to be able to have a conversation also outside of basketball and make him understand that we're all human beings at, at the end of the day i disagree with one thing you said vulnerability i believe that you have to show them that they can harm you but you are not vulnerable because you know that he can harm you but still you have the team above everybody so they will harm you personally but you are not going to become a vulnerable coach mm-hmm. because you need you you don't have one son you have 15 sons 15 person to take care of and out of those 15 people do you feel you can if you don't have a clear leader of the of the pack do you feel like you can teach them how to lead and and emer- and so a leader emerges is that something that's giving natural or do you feel like you can have them um somehow uh, rise to the top and and be a leader of the of the pack to some capacity emotional or or intelligence wise or very interesting very interesting question benas i have a wide answer okay there is many different ways a player can lead a player can lead whole school players meeting you say you have to play deep and we have to get better we have to win this game blah 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 okay Not very common anymore. Eh? You have players that are leading, being the best version of themselves any given day, night in, night out, practice, shoot around, stretching, film room, game. They are setting the tone. They are leaders. So if you don't have both of this, It's difficult that in a season you can create a leader. But you can put the seeds in the soil and in one season, two seasons, something will bloom. If they don't leave. This is our bigger problem. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, So uh, before we go into the coaching aspect, In terms of that addressing and and um, talking to the leaders and having them emerge, accountability is a big factor. Do you have a, a system or a philosophy that uh, of how to hold players accountable uh, throughout the season? Is there something that you have throughout your rich experience throughout your career that you use uh, in, in certain situations? Okay. Uh, 
one former player I had played also NBA. When uh, we were signing new players, okay, he was uh, saying welcome to them, to calling them, and uh, every every time the new player asked, "How is the coach?" and uh, he was saying to him, listen. The only thing that you have to be prepared is that when you come, be mentally ready because you will never get tired physically. But if you come and you don't want to use your brain in practice, he's going to understand it after two steps of the first drill. And you will have headache. So I always try to build accountability culture and if i'm only i'm the only bad cop in the building we have problems every time i was i was surrounded with one two three players that were taking care of telling to the new guys how we do business in this club in this team i was very successful so uh you cannot be the only one that demands. I lived in a in, with this great players, Danilovic, uh, you know, having this unbelievable personality. More, you saw that a personality on the court more than their huge talent. Okay, and I saw because I was sneaking in every practice I could all over the world. Okay. And you see this great player just shooting, you know, with the, with the passer. Every time the pass was not perfect, he throw the ball back and said, this is not the pass I'm going to have tomorrow in the game. And mm-hmm. like this, you said, and to an assistant coach or to a player, he's setting a tone for everybody. These players are the core values for a coach you cannot do the job by yourself I'm I don't let the things go easy I always try to keep my players accountable but I need players to help me players coaches and organization because sometimes you need your GM to talk to the player because and I believe that it's super important to have a player development coach in your organization. And I tell you why. A player will never come to me and say to me, hey, I cannot shoot the ball going left. Because he will think that if I know his flaw, I will not play him. But the player needs to open to somebody in order to improve. Otherwise, he will never fix some parts of his game. And this is also a way of keep the players accountable to have somebody they can trust, they can talk, and he shares the same team culture I have, but he's not the coach. He doesn't evaluate his effort on the court. He doesn't decide how many minutes, how many shots, how many opportunities he's going to have. It's a teamwork. Yeah, you need as side gigs. You need side gigs that help you to yes, sir. 
to to veer the players into the right direction together yes. and that that makes that keeps everybody on the same page I, i i can see that i can totally see that so if you if we're talking about the coaching and coaching style it, has your coaching style changed over the years you would say and if if yes in what direction every year is different no. i'm a tailor i have to make a suit but every year the material is different The color are different. So I want tailor-made stuff. And it's uh, I really see all the aspects of the game. First of all, I believe that the coach, a good coach, should know different ways to make his team functions. And I tell you this because we cannot keep the same players for 10 years, not even for five, not even for two. So if you are able to adapt, you are a better coach. If you are able to make a team win playing post-up or playing pick and roll, playing switch in defense or playing drop, every team has their best way of playing. So every year I polish something, I trim something, I adjust something. I try to do what is best for my players. This is a, another way of caring for them. Same time, I don't make shortcuts and compromises about values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keeping keeping your principles in check, that I think is the main thing. But you have to adjust to the personnel you have, the personalities you have. And like you said, it changes from year to yes. year. So, And we get back to the adaptability. Of your of your wide spectrum of yes. people that you've experienced, and I think all of that comes comes into play. Hopefully, <laughs> um, what's the, what's the expectation from your assistant coaches? What's what's one thing one thing you could say you expect during games, one thing during practices, and one thing off the court? What are like these three expectations in these three different scenarios? Okay, first thing. They need to understand what I need. I make a stupid example. I have one player that is playing bad and he's not performing. As a coach, you see all his mistakes. You don't miss one mistake. It's like the spotlight. You have perfect, crystal clear picture. Same time, you don't see all maybe the few things that he's doing good. So in that moment, he needs to understand that and tell me, yes, you are right, but he's doing good this. He's helping you to manage a player that is struggling. So I need that they are not yes men. They express themselves. Even if I say, white and they say black because they believe black is the right thing at the end of the day it's my responsibility the decision but i need confrontation i need to discuss about things in order to be better and in practice they have to coach against me i'm talking about offense they have to put my offense in troubles With adjusting, changing angles uh, of the defense, forcing to one side, switching, 
So they make my job harder, but better. That sounds like fun <laughs> to adjusting um, in the, on the fly all the time. Okay. Yeah. The other thing now I, because I heard your podcast with Bogut about the shot chart, giving yep. to the player. Hey, I learn every day. I believe the colors of the shot shooting chart is very clear to the players. And I believe it's something that I add in the last weeks. Okay. And then empathy, 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 empathy. Yeah, put, being able to put themselves in your shoes and understanding uh, what 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 the situation is calling for in that moment. Sometimes it's to be the yin and the yang towards yes. in, in coach. Sometimes you also have to be on the same yes. side and and agree. I, I um, there's a lot of or intu intuition. for example, filter analytics. Mm -hmm. You know, it comes like this of numbers of analytics, and somebody should filter them to give me only the main thing that I have to focus on, for example. Filter, filter. Yes, filter. Um, I have a quote for you, and uh, maybe you can tell me who said it. Uh, different, and it's, it's, it's in regards to a, to a certain basketball situation. Uh, This is the difference between living in San Diego and Mexico. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> About the spacing. Yes. <laughs> It's the spacing in the corner. Yes. Can you elaborate on that? Yes. Um, it's not geometrically correct, but give me some room to set it. I believe you can space horizontally on the half court and vertically. Vertically means from the half court line to the baseline. Horizontally means sideline to sideline. I see the tendency of many players when they're weak side corner or even worse, ball side corner, okay, that they space in La Jolla instead of Tijuana, okay? It's basically one step that changed completely the defensive situation in helping. And I always tell them, please, I want you in Mexico. Stay deeper. Stay in the corner. Cross that border. I know it's dangerous down there, but please stay there. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's... Most most of the players have to understand, which I found it's also at, at the highest level, they do understand that it's not about him standing in the corner. It's about his defender standing too close to the to the ball and, and, and not, not being able to... I, to... I, I, I would say something more simple to you. Sometimes we have to... Players should understand that what they think is best for them is not the best thing for the team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That step is not important for them, but it's super important for the team. Uh, I have nothing more to add to that. <laughs> um, I have 
one one thing about one last thing about basketball about coaching and about um a, a particular situation that i wanted to address because i think uh, and i'm gonna go on a tangent a little bit and you can add to it of what you think about it because i think the most underrated action in the game to me is the cutting the action or skill but i think the cutting in 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 various situations is the most underrated thing that i see and i'm not talking about the drive before you catch uh with with the ball but i'm talking about like cutting behind the defense behind the help on the post uh, uh traps from the baseline i'm talking about the the cutting uh in f against the next defense uh against the spanish defense i pr i prefer i prefer the cuts and uh there's like The situations that I've saw, I remember from your practice, was also the cutting out of the short roll situations, where, where a, a guy from the corner cuts or the guy from from uh, from the 45 can cut. But I remember one thing that we talked about, and most of the time it's the guy from the corner that's cutting on the short roll situation uh, to make it life easier for the for the for the big with the ball. But we go back to the communication part, and I found it very interesting, and maybe you can elaborate on that. How do you how do you make the player understand that he has to cut when he's the worser shooter the worst shooter the lesser shooter because we talked about it and you know when you tell a player hey you cut because you can't shoot and i want a better shoot on a perimeter there's a certain way of getting the, your point across so do you say leave that to read between the lines or do you address it and tell them i want the better shooter on the perimeter and that's why you cut how do you not overstep the line of of uh, getting your point across and and uh, offending the player possibly okay uh, i always ask my players what do you want from this season 90% they will say to win okay Then I come to the cutting action and I say, you remember when I ask you, 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 whoever, what do you want to win the games? Yes, 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 well, I want to win. I said, so in order for us to win, what is better? To have a 50% three-point shooter cutting or to have a 50% three-point shooter staying to punish the next <clears throat> the answer i already gave them the answer but it's not enough i want my players to buy in so i have a push shooter i talk to him i organize session of extra shooting with a player development coach and Sometimes you put him in a place where you don't have to cut, but just be ready to catch and shoot. I ask something, you know, and I give something. So we want to win games. Same time, we want to make our players better. So if I just tell him you cut because you are a bad shooter, He will do it, but the cut will be slow. It will, it will never be a threat for the defense. Same times. Now you are a is you are a lesser shooter. 
than this guy, but we are going to work in order you to become a better shooter. So you against the next defense is the guy that's going to stay there. You have you want him to be invested in whatever he does. So you you have to understand yeah. why why he is doing it and that he can become the guy that's not cutting. Definitely yes. Um, so fourth quarter, I I I want quick. This, these are quick hitters, okay? So I have philosophical quick hitters, and we're going here. Um, okay. My, my special ATOs for you. Uh, one advice uh, from your current self to your younger self. Do not consume yourself too much. Best worthwhile personal investment you've made in the past. This is my tendency. Invest time, money, sacrifice something of your free time, of your family time, to be the best version of yourself. Traveling, talking to coaches, watching practices all over the world. And how you can ask to your players to improve if you didn't want to improve, if you didn't invest on improving. Action speak louder than words in every sport, in everything you do in your life. How do you overcome failure? You analyze it, you swallow it, and you have to have the right motivations to bounce back. But you cannot just throw it back without analyzing. You have to know exactly why you failed in order to don't fail again. If you had to teach one class in basketball tomorrow, what would that be and why? Say it again. If I had to teach... If you had to teach one class in basketball tomorrow, what would it be and why? The first thing that I would like to address is I know so many guys that blew their opportunities and they regret it. Live without regrets. If you like it, Go all the way. Don't miss the opportunity just because that day you were lazy. I always say it happens very often. I tell you this. I go to my players and I ask them before the practice. I hug them and I say, what is your goal for today? Ah, coach, I want to have a good practice. And I say, no, everybody wants to have a good practice. This is too generic. Ah, yes, yes. I want to go hard. No, everybody should go hard. This is the basics. They are paralyzed. Because many young players don't have a purpose. 
So I tell them, why you don't come to the practice and you want to improve one aspect of your game? Do you think that if you make 10 mistakes passing the ball off the dribble with the left in practice, I will kill you? No, you're going to show me that you are humble, that you're working hard, and you have a purpose for that day. And that practice will work like 10 other practices where you just didn't have a purpose. This is what I would address to have a purpose and don't blue opportunities. If you're having dinner tomorrow night uh, after the game and you can invite three people dead or alive, who would it be? Can I answer twice? <laughs> yes. <laughs> can I give you two answers? <laughs> yes. Uh, Rasputin? Uh, I'm coming. Eh? We have so many people. Rasputin, Winston Churchill, and uh, Nikola Tesla. Interesting. And the second one is Nikos Zizis. Benas Matkevichus and Daniele Bayezi. <laughs> great dinner, great dinner. I can't, I can't wait. <laughs> um, two more things. There is the one quote for you, and I'm paraphrasing from Alex Ferguson's book. And Alex Ferguson said that a team, a team is supposed to reflect the manager's or the coach's character. If you, if you, if you had the choice, if you would describe your team that uh, would accurately represent you. What What's one characteristic you want them to reflect? Passion. They love what they do and they do it because they love what they do. Because you love what you do. Yeah. And the last one, what drives you? What drives me crazy? That was the question. What drives you? What's wh why? Why do you uh, have this drive? I uh, started from the bottom. I started coaching nine division. I fall in love for this game. Basically, I coach almost every category. Every year, you know, under 12, under 14, under 13, under 14, B, not the good team, the bad team, uh, 15, 16, 17, uh, 8 division, 9 division, 3rd division, 2nd division, 1st division, Euro Cup, Euro League. 
and uh, I was not a good player. I didn't have a sponsor. I didn't have anybody to push me. And I just wanted to be the best version of myself and try to live my dreams. And uh, I started coaching very early, 19, because I understood that I would never be any kind of player, okay? But uh, I wanted to coach Euroleague when I was coaching ninth division. And that was my dream. I don't believe that I can say that was my goal because it was too far, but that was my dream. And now my drive is to make my players better, to make my team better, to win one game, or to be able to cope with the loss and bounce back. Um, I'm blessed for what I do. Sometimes I stop and I look behind and say, I sacrifice the best years of my kids, my family, in order to coach. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I don't know if I did the right thing, but I cannot come back. And uh, hopefully they, my kids will understand what I did and why I did it. I, I do basically this also to give them the chance to choose in their life. I believe the biggest freedom for a human being is to be able to choose to, what to do. And, uh, but this drive is still present. I, every practice is like the first practice. And uh, every time I see a player is ready to, to be better, to become better, it's, it's part, it's a blessing. So I don't know what's next. I know that tomorrow morning is shoot around. This is next. And then there will be a preparation, then there will be a win or a loss. Then uh, there will be players to be pushed or players to be supported. Andrea, the is the journey. You're, you're, uh, you're invested and you're a blessing to this profession. Uh, I can tell yeah. you it's, it's, a, it's always a pleasure to talk to you because I gain a lot of insight from you and, and there's a metaphorical way that you have of talking that it's really, uh, it's really influential and it's really motivating to me, to others. Uh, you get your point across in a different way. And I think that's a very special trait that not many coaches, not many people in general have. And we get back to communication where we all know how important it is. And you are one of the best communicators and one of the best um, people who can get their point across in a proper way. And I, I thank you. Grazie mille for, for this I thank you. conversation. I enjoyed it. And I think there's going to be a lot of, lot of nuggets, a lot of gems for, 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 for players, for coaches uh, to take away. And uh, I hope to see you soon. And we're going to have this dinner. We're going to make this dinner happen with Nikos and Daniele. Super. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Ciao. you. Peace, peace and love. <laughs> to everybody. Peace. Ciao.